0: They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those assembled with them together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace and mercy and peace and hope are yours. From our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Don't get your hopes up. That's a very deflating comment, isn't it? Because it's usually spoken when our hopes are high, and we're feeling really confident and positive about something, and then someone says to you, don't get your hopes up. And where your hopes were high, and you weren't really confident, all of a sudden you feel absolutely deflated. You know what that feels like, don't you? Maybe you've said that to other people as well. Don't get your hopes up. And those words come from experience, don't they? You know, we we look around at our world today, and we look at the state of our society and our country, and maybe you don't have very high hopes at all. You've been let down and discouraged and disappointed one too many times. And you're at that point where you're just not going to get your hopes up. But it's not just the state of our country or our society that maybe deflate our hopes. People right in our own lives deflate our hopes too, don't they? Right? We, we have expectations. We put our hopes in people around us. And how often we're disappointed. Maybe it's the spouse that told you that they would be faithful to you until death, but they never were really that totally committed. And maybe it's the, the friend or family member that, that told you they would always be there for you, they'd always have your back, but then when when it came time for them to be there for you, they weren't, and it just seemed to be a facade. Maybe it's that coworker who you work so hard on with that project. You're working together, a good team, and then they go take credit for all of it with your boss. How easily our hopes are dashed in our relationships. When people let us down, they fail us, they disappoint us. And you're left thinking, don't get your hopes up. If you're anything like me. You probably put high hopes on yourself too. You have high expectations for yourself. You want to be a a, a good and faithful spouse. A a loving parent. You want to be good at your job and and, and work hard. You wanna want to have a strong relationship with God. You have these high hopes and expectations for yourself, but what happens? Right, where you want to be patient and loving with your spouse often, what is it? You're short and impatient. You wanna be this loving parent who's there for your kids, right, and spend time with them when they're small, and you keep in contact them with them when they're older, but but life gets so busy. And there seems to be so many important things that need to get done. You wanna work really hard at your job. But you just can't follow through on these expectations you set for yourself. Or or even in your relationship with God, right? You want to be devoted to being in the word and to prayer and being regular in worship and Bible study. But all the other things of life kind of just pushes it to the side. And how are you left feeling? Discouraged? Letting yourself down? How easy it is to fall into the don't-get-your-hopes-up even about yourself and the expectations you place on you. And if you're anything like me, maybe, maybe you have high hopes for God. You put high hopes on him and what he's going to do for you and how he's going to bless you, and, and what happens? Very often, things don't go the way that you think they should go. Hey God, you tell me you love me, you say you're going to be there for me, you say you're going to bless me, but it doesn't seem like it. When you pray for that loved one to get better, but their health just seems to get worse and worse and worse. When you raise your child to know Jesus as their Savior, but they grow up and they've turned their back on the word, on their faith, on Everything. Or maybe you're struggling with depression and you wonder, God, are you there? Do you care at all? Have you left me all alone? If you're anything like me, you know how it is. to put These high hopes on God and then to feel like they've been dashed. And you feel discouraged and let down. And how easy it is for us to begin to think that don't get your hopes up when it comes to God and what he's going to do for you. Don't get your hopes up. We can identify with where that comes from because of what we experience and what we feel and what we see with our eyes. And that's what these two disciples on the road to Emmaus were going through in our gospel lesson. They had high hopes, but they were dashed. At least they seemed to be. Where we pick up here in Luke chapter 24 is on Easter Sunday afternoon. So last week, Sunday, if you were able to be here or listen to the sermon, we were on Easter Sunday evening. At least we started out on Easter Sunday evening behind locked doors with the disciples. And then Jesus appeared to them. This is in the afternoon of that same day. And these two disciples are on this road to a place called Emmaus, which Luke tells us was seven miles from Jerusalem. So they're heading from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And these are not two of Jesus' 12 disciples. Uh, Maybe one of them could be, but, but we're told the name of one of them. It's Cleopas, and that is not one of Jesus' 12 disciples. But these are obviously, as you can tell from this section... Followers of Jesus, believers in him, those who had been with him and and been with, with the disciples. And they're walking along the road, talking about what has happened. What they've seen. What they've experienced, what they're feeling. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears on the road with them and starts walking with them and asking them, What are you guys talking about? And here he says, Luke shares with us what, how they were feeling just in, in what happens here. He says that they stood still with their faces downcast. There's so much in that little sentence about what was going through their minds and what they were feeling in their hearts. They're walking along the road. Jesus asks the question, what, what are you talking about? And they stop. And they stand still. And their faces just reveal what's going on inside. And then they tell him. They say, don't you know? Haven't you been around? Are you the only person who doesn't know what's happened? And Jesus says, what things? They say, about Jesus of Nazareth. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. These disciples of Jesus identify him rightly. They know who Jesus is. They call him a prophet. Notice they say he was a prophet. He was powerful in word. He spoke the word of God with authority. He was powerful in deed, Right? He did these amazing miracles that they probably got to see a number of. That's what they saw. That's what they knew. But then then they saw how the religious leaders had treated him. They sentenced him to death. And then they crucified him. He died. And then there's these reports from the women that that they claim that they saw these angels that that appeared to him. And and that, that, that they said that he was... He was risen. And and then two of their companions, which likely are Peter and John. Remember, they ran to the tomb and they saw it, but they didn't see Jesus there. These men knew what they heard. They knew what they were experiencing. And the phrase here that they say reveals how they're feeling. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. that phrase doesn't sound so bad, does it? I mean, isn't that what he came to do? He came to redeem his people. But in order to understand what these disciples are really talking about, you have to get into the mind of a first century Jew. You see, they have been told for so long by their religious leaders, the ones that had put Jesus to death on that cross, that they should be looking for this earthly king this political messiah because now they're under the tyranny of Rome and they want to be rescued and freed from that they want to become again that superpower of Israel to bring back the glory of the days of David to bring them peace and prosperity and power again and those hopes seem to be completely gone because this one is dead This one that we thought had come to redeem Israel is no more. And they're filled with sadness and grief and hopelessness. You see, this is the way the first century Jews were taught to think. And just think about some of the examples we have in the New Testament. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? And the people wanted to make him their king because they wanted to have him supply all of their earthly needs. They didn't ever want to go without bread again. I remember at Jesus' ascension, even then, his, his disciples, his closest followers said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Right? Jesus had told them so many times what was going to happen. That he was going to have to suffer, he was going to die, that he was going to rise, he he tried to explain to them so carefully and gently what he was really all about, not an earthly kingdom, not a political messiah. But they don't get it. And so their hopes are gone. This was the one we had hoped had come to redeem Israel. Their hopes are crushed because they thought this Jesus could improve their life here on this earth. And listen to Jesus' reply. He says to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? You see, their hopes were deflated because they placed their hope in something that was never promised. They put their hope in something that was never going to happen. They had placed their hope in something far less than what was really promised. And so of course they were let down. But my friends, are we any different? Are the hopes that we have often misguided. False, or, or maybe unrealistic. And that's why we're let down. I think about the hopes that we put in other people. And how often unrealistic they are. We how we want someone else to act, and what we want them to do, and what they should say. We have this all built up in our minds, this construct, and then they don't live up to that. They don't do that, and and you're left feeling discouraged. You did that. (laughs) You did that. Unrealistic hopes we have of the people in our life. How about the hopes that you put on yourself? How often aren't they false hopes? Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be a a good and loving spouse and a a loving, caring parent or or being better at your job and being a harder worker, having a stronger relationship with God. There's no problem in any of that. But the false hope that we put on ourselves is somehow we will find the ability to do that within ourselves to change and be better. Because if you're going to rely on yourself to make those changes and to be better At all of those things, you know what the outcome is going to be. You will fail and you will be discouraged and disappointed in yourself. It's a false hope. And those hopes we place on God? How misguided they are, aren't they? Right? God, if you would just do what I want, you know, things would be a lot better. That's what we think. God, if you would just make your will align with my will, maybe, maybe things would go better. How misguided, at best, our hope that we place, our hopes we place in God are. When we question his promises, we doubt his word. When we don't trust that he knows the future, when we so easily forget what he's done in the past... They're misguided at best, these hopes that we place on God. You see, friends, we're not much different than these first century Jews. These disciples on the road to Emmaus who are let down and discouraged because their hopes were misguided. They were false. They were unrealistic. They weren't placed in where they truly should be. But Jesus does not just let them wallow in their sadness, in their grief, and in their hopelessness. It says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What are the scriptures that Jesus opened up to them on that road? He had a seven-mile walk, so he probably got to share a whole lot. Maybe Isaiah chapter 53, right? That he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Maybe he, he brought up Psalm 16, that you will not let your Holy One see decay. You will not abandon me to the grave. Maybe he quoted the prophet Hosea, who wrote that I will deliver my people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Maybe he went to the prophet Jeremiah, who said, you who are the hope of Israel, their Savior. It was likely many of these and many, many more, because it says that He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And there is a lot about what that Messiah was truly going to come to do. Not to redeem them from the tyranny of Rome, but instead to redeem them from the tyranny of sin and death and the devil. He revealed to them concerning the scriptures what had been said about him. That he would come not to give them a better life here on this earth. But to give them the promise of an eternal life with him. He comes and he reminds them of what the Messiah was supposed to do. And what he would accomplish. And it wasn't. To give his people all of these earthly riches and prosperity, but instead to bring him the greater riches of forgiveness and joy and peace and life. Yes, he came to redeem his people. That they had right. But what he came to redeem them from was so much greater. And so much better. And you see what their reaction is. They want to hear more. They are hanging on every word that Jesus speaks. Because finally they have found where a true hope can be found. In promises made and promises kept. They had every reason to get their hopes up. Because they were led to see that every promise of God was being fulfilled. And they want to hear it. Evening's coming, and they say, stay with us, Jesus. Stay with us and spend more time with us. We want to hear more. And then they they, they go and they, they spend that time with him and then he breaks the bread and they are led to see who this is and then he disappears and they say how our hearts were burning within us as he was revealing those scriptures to us. Burning with hope. A real and true and living hope. Because Jesus was alive. And friends, the same is true for us. When we are deflated and discouraged by the unrealistic, false, misguided hopes that we have for others, for ourselves, even for God, the place to find true and living and certain hope is in the same exact place. What this means, that Jesus is risen, is that every single promise of God is fulfilled because he alone is that true and living hope. So think about what this means for your life. Because every promise is fulfilled. Because that tomb is empty. Because that risen Jesus is your true and living hope. That means that you can stop putting unrealistic hopes on other people around you. You can. Because your hope is found not in people, but in Jesus. And in his perfect commitment and love for you. And so instead of unrealistic hopes for the people around you and just being discouraged by people constantly, you can forgive. And you can love. And you can turn the other cheek. And you can say, it's okay because my risen Jesus is perfectly committed and loves me and accepts me. You can do away with those unrealistic hopes of others. What does it mean? that this tomb is empty and every promise of God is fulfilled and that he, that risen Jesus, is your true and living hope, it means that you can stop putting these false hopes on yourself and in yourself. And be reminded again that your worth and your value are not found in how good of a spouse you are, how loving of a parent you are, how faithful of an employee you are, or even how strong and good of a Christian you are. Your worth and your value has been determined by what we heard in our lesson from Peter. That blood of that lamb without blemish or defect that was shed for you. The priceless blood of Jesus is the value that's put on you. That my certainty and my hope is not in what I do... Not in how good I am. Not even in how much I read my Bible or say my prayers. My hope and my value and my certainty are found in the perfect life and the substitutionary death and the victorious resurrection of my substitute and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear friends, stop putting false hopes on yourself and put your hope In your risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ alone, who gives your life worth and value, who says that you are loved no matter what. And those misguided hopes that you have about God? You can get rid of those too. Go ahead, get rid of them. Because that risen Jesus means that every promise of God is fulfilled. It means that He alone, that risen Savior, is your true and living hope. And that means God is going to take care of you. God is going to bless you. God will never leave you or forsake you. He knows what you need way better than you do, He loves you more than you could ever begin to comprehend or imagine. and you and your future and your present are all in his almighty all-knowing gracious care you can put away those misguided hopes of how what you think god should do or how he should act because he says i am working for your good for your eternal good you are mine Dear friends, because, because this world and because the people around us and because even our own selves, we so easily have these discouragements and we're let down. And because our hope is often disappointed, we want to say along with these disciples, Stay with us, Jesus. Tell us more. Love me more. Give me more of these blessings that you want me to have, of of forgiveness and, and peace and joy and hope. Because it's here. As we gather around his word and sacrament, as we listen to him and learn from him, that our hearts burn within us. As we again get to see... Where our true and living and only hope and certainty and confidence for this life and the next can come from. In Jesus. And it's certain. It's yours. How can you know? Because he is risen. He is, he is risen, risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.